It so happened that Naomi had a relative by marriage, a man prominent and rich, connected with Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. One day, Ruth, the Moabite foreigner, said to Naomi, I'm going to work. I'm going out to glean among the sheaves, following after some harvester who will treat me kindly. Naomi said, Go ahead, dear daughter. And so she set out. She went and started gleaning in a field, following in the wake of the harvesters. Eventually, she ended up in the part of the field owned by Boaz, her father-in-law, Elimelech's relative. A little later, Boaz came out from Bethlehem, greeting his harvesters. God be with you. And they replied, and God bless you. Boaz asked his young servant, who was foreman over the farmhands, who is this young woman? Where did she come from? The foreman said, why, that's the Moabite girl, the one who came with Naomi from the country of Moab. She asked permission. Let me glean, she said, and gather among the sheaves, following after your harvesters. She's been at it steady ever since, from early morning until now, without so much as a break. Then Boaz spoke to Ruth. Listen, my daughter, from now on, don't go to any other field to glean. Stay right here in this one, and stay close to my young women. Watch where they are harvesting and follow them. And don't worry about a thing. I've given orders to my servants not to harass you. When you get thirsty, feel free to go and drink from the water buckets that the servants have filled. She dropped to her knees, then bowed her face to the ground. How does this happen? that you should pick me out and treat me so kindly, me, a foreigner. Boaz answered her, I've heard all about you, heard about the way you treated your mother-in-law after the death of her husband, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and have come to live among a bunch of total strangers. God reward you well for what you've done and with a generous bonus besides from God, to whom you've come seeking protection under his wings. She said, Oh, sir, such grace, such kindness, I don't deserve it. You've touched my heart, treated me like one of your own, and I don't even belong here. At the lunch break, Boaz said to her, Come over here. Eat some bread, dip it in the wine. So she joined the harvesters. Boaz passed the roasted grain to her. She ate her fill and even had some left over. When she got up to go back to work, Boaz ordered his servants, let her glean where there's still plenty of grain on the ground. Make it easy for her. Better yet, pull some of the good stuff out and leave it for her to glean. Give her special treatment. Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and when she threshed out what she had gathered, she ended up with nearly a full sack of barley. She gathered up her gleanings, went back to town, and showed her mother-in-law the results of her day's work. She also gave her the leftovers from her lunch. Naomi asked her, 
So where did you glean today? Whose field? God bless whoever it was who took such good care of you. Ruth told her mother-in-law, The man with whom I work today, his name is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Why, God bless that man. God hasn't quite walked out on us after all. He still loves us in bad times as well as good. Naomi went on, That man, Ruth, he is one of our circle of covenant redeemers, a close relative of ours. Ruth the Moabitess said, Well, listen to this. He also told me, Stick with my workers until my harvesting is finished. Naomi said to Ruth, That's wonderful, dear daughter. Do that. You'll be safe in the company of his young women. No danger now of being harmed in some stranger's field. So Ruth did it. She stuck close to Boaz's young women, gleaning in the fields daily until both the barley and wheat harvesting were finished. And she continued living with her mother-in-law. Um, why don't we uh, treat this a little bit like a, a living room Bible study? This may, who knows, this may be one of those Sundays where you look back and go, you remember that cool Sunday where only like 40 people showed up and God was really at work and, and it was sort of weird and interesting? Um, follow along if you would. I have a whole table back there of Bibles, and I think it's good to, for this series in particular to just sort of follow along with your Bible. And uh, let me just, um, I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but let's, let's, let's make it a little contest um, of review. Uh, so Elimelech and his family, his wife's name is Naomi, Naomi very good. There is a famine in the town of very good, which ironically, Bethlehem means house of bread. Very good. So they decide to go 50 miles up the road where there is no famine to the area or the country known as, very good, very good, Moab. And uh, is that a place where God's people should be going? No, it's, it's uh, idolatry, cultish. Uh, so... Uh, the family goes there. They they marry two of the boys, Mahon and Kilion, marry two women, Ruth and, it's a hard one. I always say Oprah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a car for you and a car for you. Orpah, though. Orpah Winfrey. And... Now, the whole point to go to Moab was that so no one would die. What happens? Die. They all die. The men all die. And that's a bad situation for the women in that age because it was the sons, it was the brothers, it was the husbands who would take care. So these three widows start on the road back to Bethlehem because they hear that God is, is back blessing his people. The famine is over. Somewhere along the line, though, Naomi realizes, look, I got nothing to offer you gals, and uh, it would be best if you actually go back to Moab, marry a nice Moabite boy, try to start again, and uh, Orpah Winfrey decides to take her up on that, like some Christians do when the going gets tough. Naomi says something, it's one of the great 
lines in scripture, probably the best line in this book. Anybody know what she says to Naomi? Where you go, I'll go. She starts singing a Chris Tomlin song to her. Where you stay, I'll stay. They get back. The whole town is like, ooh, you see Naomi's back, and who's this Moabite girl? But they are in, they're in a tight spot, okay? They're in a tight spot. Two widowed women, um, really no food, no means of income. So let's pick it up, uh, verse 1, chapter 2. And uh, it says, now there was a wealthy man, an influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. I like how other translations read it. I'm reading from the NLT, but some translations say he was a worthy man. I like that. What does that mean? It means he was worthy of respect. He's worthy of imitation. He's he's a a wealthy man. I'd say single men in the room, if you want to imitate somebody, imitate Boaz, his name literally means strength, uh, mighty one. He's a man's man. In fact, some places in the Old Testament, uh, when it refers to a worthy man, it meant he was a a man of war, so he could fight. He's a dude. He's also a a, a man who's good in business. He's a he's he gets results. He's good with money. And and what's weird is he's a little bit older and he's rich, and he loves God and he's successful. And what is he? Married or single? Single, hmm, makes you wonder, like, does he have a giant goiter on his neck? Is he cross-eyed? Is he super picky? I don't know. Bible doesn't say, but it turns out in God's providence that he is single. And uh, ladies, if you feel like there's not a good man to be found, um, may it be a Boaz. Um, come to Knack, and I'll, uh, I'll do what I can do. I'm a pretty good matchmaker, so... Verse 2, one day Ruth, the gal from the bad family, from the bad town, the gal with nothing going for her, said to Naomi, let's me go out into the field and pick the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Like these two women have no food. They're broke. Uh, And like I say, in this culture, it's usually the men, the brothers, the sons who would protect them and defend them, but the fridge is bare. And Ruth looks at her mother-in-law and says, look, I'm asking your permission to go out in the field and glean, and in faith, I'm going to believe that God is going to give us someone who has a heart for us, who, who will show us kindness. That's, that's faith. I didn't move all the way to Moab, or all the way from Moab to Bethlehem, uh, to follow your God, Yahweh, and, and, and just to be let down. I'm going to trust in your God, and I believe he's going to introduce us to someone who can help us. Now, She's doing this thing called gleaning. It's sort of the equivalent of like the Hebrew social services, okay? It's, it's the food bank. It's the soup kitchen. It's the Hebrew pogi, all right? And the way it works is God told his people, if you own a piece of land, it's actually my land, and, and you can harvest it, but don't take all the food. Leave a little bit so that the poor, the widow... Um, the orphan, the refugee, the immigrant, they can work. Not just get a handout, but they can work, come to the field, and take some of that food home for themselves and for their family. It's the Israeli EI, okay? Now, imagine a young lady, say, in this room, moves to Montreal, knows one person, is flat broke, is out 
collecting aluminum cans just to sort of scrounge together a few bucks, is sleeping at the Sally Ann, eating at the soup kitchen. I mean, these women are in a very difficult place. But here's Ruth willing to work hard, to venture out in faith. Verse 3, so Ruth went out to gather grain, and as it happened, as it happened, remember last week I told you to keep your eyes open for a little word called, anybody remember? Well, okay, let me tell, that's right. The English word, though, providence, providence, um, not luck, not chance, says she happened to randomly, by chance, right, pick the field of Boaz, the rich single guy who loves God. Uh, it's not luck, it's not karma, it's not a roll of the dice, it's not fortune, this is providence. She makes a free will choice to go to that particular field. No angel whispered to her, there was no burning bush. She just picked a field. The gracious hand of God, of providence, who is both sovereign and good. You know, Isaiah 65 says, uh, it actually rebukes those who believe in fortune or chance. He says, no. It's the Lord. So verse 4, while she's there, Boaz happened to arrive. Lucky her. She happened to pick the field of Boaz. She happened to go there on the day that Boaz happened to drive up on his camel with the expensive rims. And he happened to get down off his camel. And he happened to see this Moabite girl working the field. Okay. Okay. God is good. He's got a plan. And then he greeted his employees. What's he going to say to them? The Lord be with you. How many of you, um, this is not your boss. Um, your boss doesn't walk in quoting verses. You're going, no, actually, my boss might be Satan himself. I'm pretty sure. Um, look, guys, not everyone can have as good a boss as Glenn, all right? <laughs> this is a good, godly man. Um, the Lord bless you. And what are they going to say, all his employees? They answered, the Lord bless you. This is the priestly blessing from Numbers 6. Now, a lot of you, this is not your job. You know, you're not sitting in your cubicle and the boss walks in and he's like, oh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And you pop up from your cubicles like groundhogs on a golf course and say, and also with you, Mr. CEO, that's... That's not how it goes. Shall we sing a hymn together? Um, but this is a beloved boss, a good man. And so Boaz asks his foreman, Johnny College, the guy with the clipboard who's, who's watching the harvesters. He says, who's that young woman over there? I know all my employees, but I've never seen this gal before. Um, this is his first sight. Is it love at first sight? Maybe. But ladies, how is Ruth looking right now? Um, is this first date presentation? She's working in the field. She's, she's covered in dirt. She's got her hair in a kerchief. Her one peasant dress is covered in filth. Or maybe she's still wearing the clothes of a widow, mourning, grieving. And uh, she's got some stank on her from from working all day. Like, this is not her finest haughty moment, right? You ask most ladies, say, like, oh, Boaz is coming over. They'll be like, great, I'll be ready in four hours. 
But Johnny College, he answers, he says, oh, that's the gal that we heard about, the, that met the Lord, that moved from Moab uh, with Naomi. She's worked hard all day. She's just trying to make ends meet. She's trying to feed herself and that bitter mother-in-law that we heard about last week. This seems like a woman of character, the way she's described. In many ways, she illustrates that Proverbs 31 sort of woman. So, um, single guys. Where are my single guys at? I see one for sure. Oh, okay, Robert. Good, good, good. Um, if I may, gentlemen, you need to marry a woman who is not just attractive. You should be attracted to your wife. I think she'd appreciate that. But you, you need not just be attracted to her physically. You've got to be attracted to her character and her ethic and her devotion to the Lord because there are some women who are a good time and there are other women who are a good legacy. Most 20-year-old guys are like, good time. That's what I choose. No, good legacy, which means you got to ask questions like, can you read? Are you sober? How many fingers am I holding up? Uh, you go, oh, what does that matter? Well, it only matters if you want a relationship for the long haul, if you're interested in good kids, if you're interested in being challenged in your faith, um, having fulfillment. Like a woman of integrity, a woman of devotion, of endurance, someone like Ruth. So don't just be like, well, she's hot. So's hell. So, you know, you got to look at character. Uh, by the same token, I think Boaz recognizes that um, God has put a woman in front of him. Um, you know, I think many guys are like, I have a list and I'm looking for the perfect woman. Look, if she exists, she's not getting with you, okay? That's all I'm trying to say. Sometimes you got to look at the one that providence has put in front of you. And there's a lot of guys who are like, I can't find a good woman. And really, it's like going to the supermarket and saying, I can't find cereal. Um, sometimes you need to look at who Providence has put in front of you. Who do you work with? Who do you go to church with? Who's in your small group? Who's in your circle of friends? Who has God put in your path? And God has put Ruth in front of Boaz. And now he's going to talk to her. They're going to have their first conversation. How exciting. Boaz went over to Ruth and maybe he does his best like Barry White. He's like, listen, listen. Stay here with us and don't <laughs> don't go over to Hank's field. Stay right here. I got me a nice field. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. He's providing community for her. He's uh, he knows she doesn't have friends. She's new in town. These, these women will be your community. They'll show you some tips and tricks um, for how to get the most out of your labor. You know, he says, I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly. This guy's way ahead of the Me Too movement, all right? He says, hey, boys, you see that Moabite girl over there? She's cute, right? Yeah. Um, if you touch her, I have a big field, and they will never find your body, all right? I will get Old Testament on you. What's he doing? He's being protector, defender, provider. 
Boaz. I love that. And I feel like maybe we're losing this thing called chivalry, right? Uh, we despise chauvinism, but we're for chivalry. You know, imagine um, um, that men, we would love women as equal image bearers of God, but still honor the feminine. Paul says in the New Testament that guys were to treat um, Christian women as sisters. And Boaz does that. He treats her like he would his sister with respect and with, with dignity. He says, when you're thirsty, help yourself to water that they've drawn from the well. You know, in that culture, her being a Moabite woman, she would have been the one who had to draw out water and give to the men. And, and he's saying, no, let the men do that for you. They'll, they'll give you something cool to drink. So not only treated as an equal, but honored. It's like you invite somebody over for dinner and, and you give them the, the head of the table. So how she respond? Well, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. This is an ancient Eastern custom. She's overwhelmed with gratitude. What have I done to deserve such kindness? I'm only a foreigner. So she doesn't go, oh, Boaz, great. My ring finger is size eight. Do you own a tux? Um, she doesn't throw herself at Boaz, but she asks the question, why are you being so nice to me? It's a good question, right? Women, you have the right to ask, why why is he being so nice? What's the end game here? Um, is he looking to sleep with you? Is he looking to live with you? Is he looking for a good time or a good legacy? Every woman has the right to ask that. And Ruth is saying, you've initiated, you've been very nice, thank you. What's your plan here? Where are we going? And in fairness, from her perspective, it does seem a little odd, doesn't it? I mean, how... How many of you single men, you know, some of you have a, a mental list of what you're looking for in a wife. How many uh, would include in that list um, pagan family, spent most of her life in a cult, homeless, flat broke, dirty, crazy, angry, mother-in-law as a bonus. Jackpot. Boom. That's what I was looking for. Nice girl um, digging in a dumpster for dinner. If I could just find me one of those girls. Um, Ruth looks at herself and she's like, He's Boaz, I'm Ruth, I'm not a virgin, I come with this Naomi baggage, I'm out here dumpster diving, why are you being so nice to me? And so how Boaz answers that question um, is going to make or break the future of one of the great love stories of all time. Verse 11, Ruth, your character, your reputation, it precedes you, people are talking about you. You've, you've turned to our God. You've come here to walk with his people. You've been loyal to your mother-in-law. I respect you. I admire you. That's why. And, and you remember the deep desire of her heart at the beginning of this chapter, that someone would show her kindness has been answered in the person of Boaz. And if that wasn't enough, in verse 12, he's then going to pray for her. This is, this is a beautiful way to start a relationship, isn't it? And I'll just bet this is not the first person that Boaz has prayed for. So he prays, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I'm going to say something that's going to sound crazy, okay? But just 
stick with me for a second. Boaz prays that God would reward or bless her in every way. And what I think he's essentially praying is, I pray that God would give you food, that he would give you a home and friends. I pray that God would give you love, a husband, children. I pray that God would bless you in every way that God can bless. Now, for those who have read ahead, did that prayer of Boaz come true? Yeah. And who did God send to answer the prayer of Boaz? Boaz. I'm going to argue that sometimes we can be the answer to our own prayers. Sometimes prayer moves the hand of God, and sometimes prayer changes the heart of the one who is praying. Sometimes we realize, oh, that's why I'm here. I shouldn't just pray that God will do something. If I'm the one uh, that God has called, maybe I'm the one who's supposed to answer that prayer. There's a beautiful illustration of that in our church. Some some couples are sitting around. There was uh, someone in desperate need in our church, needed a big amount of money. And as they prayed about it, there was this sort of aha moment where it's like, oh, we could take care of this. We could pass the hat and be the answer to our own prayers. And so I just think that's beautiful. And I would encourage you, don't just pray for people, but as God would enable and lead you be the answers to those prayers. Yes, pray. Pray that God would lead that friend to salvation. But in addition to that, go talk to that friend about Jesus. Um, pray that God would comfort your friend when they're hurting, but also go sit with them. Put your arm around them. Love them. Boaz prays for blessing, and he ends up being the answer to his own prayer. And so she says, you have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I'm not one of your workers. See, the religious law states that he allow the poor and the widow and the orphan and the alien to glean in the field. Boaz has gone far beyond the law, and he's now all the way into grace. He's done way beyond what she could have asked or hoped or prayed for. Why would Boaz do this? I think, I think Boaz understands the gospel. You say, wait a minute, the gospel's New Testament. Well, actually, um, it said that the gospel was preached to Abraham. And the gospel basically is that you and I are Ruth. We come from the wrong background. We, we come to the Lord empty-handed and needy. And the Lord Jesus is Boaz. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, you know, that great English preacher, calls Jesus Christ our glorious Boaz. Boaz pursued Ruth, and Jesus has pursued us. As Boaz has spoken kindly to Ruth, Jesus has spoken kindly to us. As, as Boaz went beyond the requirements of the law all the way to grace, so Jesus has gone beyond the requirements of the law all the way to grace, and we found favor in the eyes of the Lord Jesus, our glorious Boaz. So every story has a hero, and the, and the hero of the story of Scripture is Jesus. Scripture begins with, in the beginning, God, and then 
the last line in the scripture of Revelation really speaks about Jesus. So it begins by telling us that the book that we're reading is about God. It ends by telling us that that God is Jesus Christ. And everything in the middle really is about Jesus. In fact, in John 5, a bunch of no fun uh, religious types came to Jesus and he said to them, you diligently study the scriptures saying that in them you'll find eternal life, yet you fail to recognize that the entire purpose of scripture is to reveal me. Jesus basically said the whole Bible is ultimately about me, the hero. And then you know the story after the resurrection, he's walking along with some of his disciples, he opens up the scripture the Old Testament, and he explains to them how it was ultimately about him. So I imagine that as he's going through this Bible study with his disciples, he comes to Ruth, and without giving the whole thing away, um, the reason that Ruth is included in Scripture is that it is ultimately part of the story of the family of Jesus, so in addition, though, to the big H hero that is Jesus, there's also some small H heroes, you know, people who, who do courageous things for God. They're not sinless and perfect as Jesus is, but God in his providence works through them. People like Boaz and Ruth, they become, we'll call them small H heroes, as it were, who are working with God, bringing about his, his providential purposes on the earth. And this is important because here we are, 3,000 years removed from the writing of Ruth, and the question maybe you're asking yourself is, is what does a book about gleaning barley have to do with us here in the most densely populated area of Canada in 2018? And I would say, first of all, that God is the same yesterday, today, forever, and that we, we have the same need for God today as we did 3,000 years ago. I'd say that there's something, there's something for us in this narrative. God promises that his word, all of his word, won't return void, that it has the power to transform hearts and lives and, and just as a little aside, the book of Ruth has these small age heroes, an unmarried single man, an unmarried single woman. I just want to say God loves single people. We put a lot of emphasis on the church sometimes on, on the married person. God works through people who are unmarried. And this narrative shows it. Verse 14 and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here, baby. Actually, I'm not that far off because the King James Version says, come hither. Come hither. He's inviting her to have lunch, and, and he gave her the roasted grain. Now, who served Ruth? Boaz. What is he? He's the boss. He's serving the employee. Are you starting to see the family resemblance to Jesus here? The one who is humble? takes the posture of a servant. Because in that culture, you better believe it was the Moabite woman who is serving the Hebrew man. Boaz says, let me serve you. And she ate all she wanted, best meal she's ever had, she's, or at least in a long time. And she's got food left over. Who do you think 
is going to get that leftover food. Naomi, verse 15. Ruth went back to work again. This is a hardworking gal. Now, Boaz is going to tell the young men, verse 16, don't say any unkind words to her. Don't yell at her. Don't disrespect her. If she cries, you die, okay? Which is my motto for anyone who dates my daughters. <laughs> she cries, you die. And I love this about Boaz. He's speaking to young men. Why? Because young men don't know Jack. It's true. 40% of them uh, don't have fathers, or, or if they do, not very present ones. And likewise, Ruth is getting counsel from an older woman who loves her, who knows God, and who has for a long time. Folks, this is the church, right? It's, it's good to pursue relationships with, with older people who have some wisdom. They are the gifts that God gives us. Titus 2 and other places talk about the benefit that older women, older men, can be in the lives of younger people. And so Boaz does this well. And Ruth gathered barley there all day. It's hard work, sweaty, blue-collar work. And when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. It was, as I studied this, the equivalent, perhaps, of two weeks' wages um, for the average worker, maybe a couple thousand bucks in one day, without breaking the law, without selling meth to junior high kids, all right? And notice Boaz, he's not, he's not looking to take advantage of her. He's, he's not like, oh, she's a Moabite, I'm a Hebrew, she's new in town, I'm established, she's poor, I'm rich, she's powerless, I'm powerful. He treats her with kindness as a sister, and he blesses her. I mean, she went from facing starvation to having a very good job says so she carried it back to town, so she's carrying about 30 to 50 pounds, showed it to her mother-in-law. Naomi is stunned. Oh, what? You had a nice meal. You got a job. You made a few thousand bucks. You brought dinner home for me with dessert. Good day. Looks like God has showed up. And her mother-in-law asked her, so what happened? Tell me the story. She says, may the Lord bless the one who helped you. This is Mara, which means bitter. And maybe she's turning back into Naomi, the worshiper of God. Romans says that it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. So God is lovingly, graciously providing for Ruth and Naomi. And now Naomi's heart is opening up. She she tells her mother-in-law about Boaz. May the Lord bless him. He is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. You know, even though my husband and my sons are dead, he's honoring them as well. And she uses that Hebrew word again. We talked about it last week. Somebody said it a few minutes ago. What is that word again? Has said, along with providence, sums up all of Ruth, translated as loving kindness. It's all the wonderful attributes of God, his, his love, his grace, his mercy, his patience, his kindness, his long-suffering, his provision. I was so blessed by um, Ed Lidow sharing his meditation process with us a few weeks ago. Just, just taking hours to think on the loving kindness of God, the patience of God, the kindness of God. 
And Naomi is saying, I knew God was a God of Hesed, and now he has had Hesed on us, and I pray that God would have Hesed on Boaz, because Boaz has had Hesed on us. Not that Boaz is God, he's just a man, but he is an image bearer of God. He's like a mirror reflecting the love and compassion that God has for these women. Boaz understands God has been good to me. I'm going to be good to others to reflect the character of God. And then Naomi is like, whoa, did you say Boaz? Because I know that dude. It just so happens. It just so happens that she ends up in the field of Boaz, who happens to show up while she's there, and he happens to initiate conversation, pray for her, offers her a job with a bonus. He happens to be single, and it just so happens that he is a redeemer. He's an extended family member on the side of Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband. Now, in, in um, Leviticus 25, the redeemer had two primary functions, okay? It was to redeem property or to redeem people. If you were in debt in this culture, like you couldn't just declare bankruptcy, right? You would either sell yourself or you had to sell your land to pay off your debt. Now, you sell yourself into slavery for a period of time to pay off your debt. What would that do? That would devastate your family because you, you would have no income. You sell off your land, but in selling your land in a agrarian, agrarian, is that how you say it? Agrarian farming society. People live on the farm. People work on the farm. They eat off the farm. The farm stays in the family for generations. It would be a disgraceful way to, to lose your land because you're giving away what belonged to your great-grandparents. That's right, I said it. And what belonged to your great-grandchildren. You were destroying your family legacy, not to mention your provision. But the Redeemer was the one who would come in and say, I'll pay off the debt, I'll pay for the person or the land, and I'll keep it in the family. The, the Redeemer was the fixer, the one who, who God had blessed so that they could bless others and do works of hesed. And wouldn't you know it, Boaz is a Redeemer. You're starting to see the Jesus family resemblance. Here's the thing, though. The kinsman redeemer was only obligated to biological relatives. Is Ruth a biological relative? No. No, she's not a relative by birth. You could argue she's a relative by new birth, what the New Testament calls to be born again, adopted into the Lord's family. Look, you and I, gentlemen, I'm just talking to the men. Ladies, you can close your ears for a second. We live in a world where men do atrocious things to their own daughters, to their sisters, to their girlfriends, to their wives. We will not be those men. In fact, maybe we need more Christ followers who would, who would be all about redemption. Men, when you see a woman who has responded the way Ruth has later in life, that you wouldn't just say, well, she has kids. I don't want to marry her. Is she like Ruth? Then redeem her and her kids. 
women, you wouldn't just look at a man who had a past, but later in life has responded like Ruth, Ruth and say, oh, he's damaged goods. No, that you might in fact be part of his redemption story. Verse 21, then Ruth says, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with the harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. That's six or seven weeks of a seasonal job. And in six weeks, she's going to earn essentially an entire year's salary. This is a generous man, verse 22. Good, now I'm explained. Because there are bad guys out there. There's going to be guys who want to take advantage of you. They're going to say they love you, baby, but they'll say that to everybody. So stay close to the godly women, verse 23. So Ruth stayed in that Bible study. She built godly friendship. She started to get connected in the community of God's people. She continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. By the way, did anybody catch Johan's great musical cue up here? Um, summertime, the living is easy. Fish are jumping. <clears throat> Some of the prayers that began this chapter are being answered. They've got a house. They've got some food. God has had favor on them. And then the story goes a little bit quiet. It started off so good. Boaz shows up. Come hither, my darling. Work here. Let me pray for you. Here's a meal. Here's a few thousand dollars. They're off with a bang. And then she goes to work every day for six weeks. And, and what happens? Nothing doesn't call, he doesn't text, there's no second date, nothing. Any ladies dating a guy like this? Don't raise your hand, but because he could be sitting next to you. But you're like, I thought we were doing good, you know? I don't know where we're at. We're not, are we a couple? Are we not a couple? Are we, are we engaged? Are we friends? Are we frenemies? What's his end game? Boaz may be a redeemer, but he's also a dude, and we're dumb. And I've heard it said that men, um, men chasing women are like dogs chasing fire engines. Should they get one, they wouldn't know what to do with it, you know? And, uh, and so for some of you this morning, women and men, this is frustrating. You're in a season of waiting. Um, one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. You'd like, oh man, I'd rather have mangoes uh, than the fruit, well, you know, the fruit, fruit of, yeah, I'll stick by that one. I don't like this fruit of patience. I understand. Maybe it's a temp job. Um, maybe you're waiting on a decision. Maybe you're, you're single and you feel like you have so much love to give and so much love to receive and this feeling that time is running out. Um, I know it's easier said than done. Be patient. Please don't fall into the trap of actually thinking that God will bless sin. God doesn't bless sin. Young people, you can't live in a place of disobedience and be blessed. You can't sleep with your boyfriend while you wait for Boaz to come along. You can't sleep with your girlfriend while you wait that God will give you a Ruth. Um, young men, aspire to be like Boaz. Be respected and respectful. Treat women like sisters. Be 
humble and gracious and generous. And young ladies, Ruth is a great example. Walk with God and his people. Build friendships. Listen to older women and mentors. Live a life of holiness. Work hard. Trust in God because he's sovereign and he's good. The God of providence. I'm going to ask if, if the band would come back. Um, where are we going with all of this? You know, some of you know how the story ends. Um, spoiler alert, that this, this is the beginning of the family of Jesus. And I don't want to give it all away, but, you know, if you read Matthew 1, you'll see this is part of his lineage. And you can see the family resemblance in Boaz. He is a redeemer as Jesus is our redeemer. As Boaz saw Ruth, so Jesus has seen us. As Boaz initiated relationship with Ruth, so Jesus has initiated a relationship with us. Um, Boaz showed kindness and provision to Ruth, and so Jesus shows kindness and provision to us. He is our redeemer, as Boaz was, except that Jesus is our big R redeemer in that we belong to Satan and sin and death, and we are bound for judgment. And like Ruth, we were in a terrible predicament, but Jesus has given the gracious gift of himself. He doesn't owe us anything, as Boaz owes Ruth nothing, but he gives us his own resurrection life as a gift. He has favor on us. And like Ruth received this gift from Boaz, we receive the gift of salvation from Jesus. He is the God of Hesed, loving, gracious, merciful, and kind. I, I, as I studied this, I said to the team, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of throw you under the bus. Could you learn a song? Because it just is so perfect for this series. Right from scripture in Genesis, even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good and for our glory. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not abandoned us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. Would you stand with me as we learn this together? So when I've been preparing the words this week, the, the word that stood out for me is um, hope. And like today, it's like freezing cold and um, in the middle of winter. In, but God always brings hope. From hope comes faith. And nothing is impossible for him. So if you're in the midst of a bit of winter, it's hope. Thank you for that, Johan. Anybody else feel like they have just a word? Know that this is a good time to do it. I, I, I have to trust that, that God provided just a nugget today that, that made the, the dangerous trek worth your while. Maybe it was even a conversation in the break time. Maybe it'll be a hug, a prayer, after this time together. 
But maybe in his providence, in his sovereignty, in his goodness, there was just something you were like, that was for me today. Maybe it was Johann's last sort of exhortation there. Um, God is good and he is faithful. Um, let, me, let me pray for us. And, and uh, are we going to are we gonna have to stay the night here? Roll out the, roll out the cots. We've got a kitchen. We've got bathrooms. We'll live together like the commune we were meant to be. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being our glorious Boaz, for being our redeemer. We thank you for being our Hesed. We thank you for being this family resemblance to Boaz. Lord Jesus, I pray for these men um, that they would have the family resemblance as well, that we would be redeemers, courageous, godly men who treat women as sisters, who treat wives as princesses, who treat daughters as gifts, who are about redemption. Pray for these women. They would have the attitude of Ruth, trusting, faithful, puts their hope in, in, the, in the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, I pray for our city and for our church, and I pray that these people, they would cling to you, that they would bless others as you bless them, that you would give them good legacy. I ask this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. Do you know that you are a loved people? I'm glad you came to church, especially on a day like today. But Danita, what am I going to say? There we go. God bless you as you go.